the Woe to Go podcast with me, Karen A.D., helping you transition through those bumpy woe moments when life has been completely disrupted into a flourishing new chapter. Let's go. My friend and colleague, Chrissy Gavin, went in for spinal fusion surgery and woke up to discover things had gone very wrong. She found herself in a wheelchair. Her whole life changed. The rug was pulled out from underneath her and it was a really tough time. But somehow she got through it. And here she is, five years later, walking without crutches and on a completely different career path. I just wanted to give you a heads up. This episode touches on themes of dark days and suicidal moments, and it might be upsetting for some people. Without further ado, this is Chrissy's story. Life might not look how I want it to or how I planned it to, um, but there can be a new life, a different way forward. Our guest today is Chrissy Gavin. Chrissy is the founder of Masculine Matters Coaching and Counseling. She has had a varied and wonderful career in everything from corporate HR to at one time owning a scuba diving training school in the tropics, and also a time working in health and safety management in heavy industry. Today, she's going to share with us her story of how she overcame a life-changing injury and how that completely changed her career path. So let's go. Hi, Chrissy. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Hi, Karen. Thanks for having me today. Okay, so we're just going to start with a little bit of background. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure. So um, I live here in Australia on the beautiful Fraser Coast in Queensland. Um, but as you can probably tell from the accent, not a local. I was born in South Africa, raised in Scotland, uh, but have been living in Australia for 20 years now. And um, I really credit living in Australia to having the amazing career that I've had. I feel I had lots of opportunities here that wouldn't have been open to me in the UK. So, yes, as you said, I've had this amazing career from the corporate world through to working in construction, mining, um, uh, commercial diving. So I've really, really enjoyed it and now find myself as a coach. So I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about your story and the life disruption or challenge that you faced. Yeah, so five years ago, um, I had to undergo a surgery. Um, It was a revision spinal fusion, uh, which was to fix issues from a first spinal fusion uh, that hadn't worked. And unfortunately, um, not sure exactly what went wrong during the surgery because I was never told, but ended up uh, in quite a bad way afterwards uh, with what something they call a CSF leak. So that's the fluid that sits around your brain and spinal cord um, leaking out of the spinal cord in the lumbar section, the lower back. And unfortunately, that led to uh, a staph infection getting into my brain. 
um, making me really seriously ill. And at one point being told I had about five days to live if somebody didn't jump in and operate and and fix the holes in there. But trying to find somebody to do that was really tough. The the original surgeon didn't want to touch it. He claimed there was nothing wrong. Uh, Another surgeon said there was definitely something wrong, but he wasn't prepared to fix it. And so it was a race against time to find somebody who would help me, which I eventually did up in Sydney. So a really, really scary time, lots of fear. And as I look back now, I realised I was really in survival mode. I really um, I had very much dissociated from what was happening around me. I actually have some recordings of me on phones to two doctors trying to get help. And <laughs> I listen to them now and go, wow, it sounds like I'm planning a holiday when obviously it was the last thing I was planning. Um, mm. And yeah, I Fortunately, I found this amazing surgeon in Sydney who saved my life. And um, unfortunately, because of the damage done by the uh, first surgeon, I was left with a permanent spinal cord injury. Um, They call it adhesive arachnoiditis. It's a great name. Everybody thinks I've got some massive uh, spider phobia. (laughs) Uh, But it's actually damaged one of the layers of our spinal cord, which they call the arachnoid because apparently under a microscope, it looks like a spider's web. So, um, yeah, so that's been really challenging. I was I was left in a wheelchair. I was told I'd never walk again. Um, sadly, it was the end of my marriage as well. Um, it, you know, it became very overwhelming for both of us. And, um, yeah, it was, it was really tough. I, I had to leave the job and career that I'd had for about 12 years at that point, which was health and safety management um, in heavy industry, which I loved. Loved being around all the big toys um, and getting to go to different sites and, and meet different people. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, as you say, absolutely life-changing, life-shattering in, in the moment. I can see the the silver lining now, but at the time it felt like my life was over, that, you know, I could never get back to um, the pe- person I'd been before, who was a very active person, very social person, um, and who loved travel. And being in a wheelchair, you suddenly realise how difficult the world is to navigate. Um, and especially when you're on your own, you don't have... Mm. I lived in a town where I didn't really know anyone and didn't have that support network. So, yeah, it was it was incredibly um, difficult and, and devastating at that time. Such a hard thing. So tell me, Chrissy, how did you cope? Um, it was really tough. You know, there was definitely days where I just wished I wouldn't wake up and and have to deal with the next day or I even remember days where I would wake up and for that brief moment it felt like everything was how it had been and then suddenly the reality would hit me and you know that grief would kind of strike me all over again um so getting through each day could be really tough and and I had to learn some really tough lessons the some of the key ones being um to give myself grace that Right in the beginning, I couldn't even shower myself. I couldn't dress myself. Um, it was a huge challenge and I had to give myself grace that if I didn't get up and shower and dress that day, it was okay. Um, I had to find ways to manage my house, my shopping, my food. So 
I've always been somebody who's hyper-independent, and I'm sure lots of people out there can uh, mm-hmm. relate to that. Um, so learning to ask for help was a really, really big one. Uh, that was hard. That was really hard because, as I say, I didn't really have the support mm-hmm. network there, so it wasn't like it was close friends or family. My family all live overseas. Um, so, yeah, learning to ask for help and and admitting that <laughs> I can't do everything all of the time. Um and then I think just little things like I have cats. I love my cats. And and um, unfortunately, they've both passed away now. But one of them in particular, I, I always said she was my little healer. She knew when I was having a particularly bad day and, and she would always come and lie on my chest over my solar plexus, which my energy healing friends tell me is the mm-hmm. sort of center of that. And she would just lie there and purr, and and it was amazingly um, therapeutic. You know, it just calmed. It did calm me down. It got me out of that fight, flight, freeze mode that I was in so much of the time, just trying to survive. Um, and then I think just mm-hmm. looking around for inspiration from from others who had overcome devastating, life altering uh, events. Um, that, that helped as well. And I, I found actually a group online, a support group of people who have this adhesive arachnoiditis. And um, I saw lots of people on there getting up and getting on with their lives. One, um, I believe she's in Canada. She's now like a Paralympian for her country. Um, another guy in New Zealand who's done amazing things, volunteering and helping other people despite his own physical challenges. And that just helped inspire me that life might not look how I want it to or how I planned it to, um, but there can be a new life, a different way forward. Absolutely. It's interesting how those lenses change things, you know, when you look through a different lens, Mm. finding the way forward, how that changes things for you. It's also interesting you mentioned about your cat being the healer, little healer (laughs) that's sitting on your chest and purring. Yeah. Our animals can be such a blessing to us, can't they, really? They just Absolutely. seem to know when yeah. we're feeling that way. Is there anything that you wish you had known or done differently over that time? I don't think there's anything specific. I think I learned a lot from it, but I recognise very clearly I was in survival mode and in survival mode you just do the best that you can. So I think I try not to go back and say, oh, I should have done this, I should have done that. Um, I don't want to get into kind of beating myself up or oh, I should have done it differently. Um, there's probably mm. things I could have done. I, I could have um, asked for more help. I could have um, maybe pushed harder. But I feel I did a lot. You know, I, I did a lot of research. I, I reached out to a, a, an amazing doctor in the US who works specifically with arachnoiditis patients. And he has a protocol that he suggests you follow, especially in those early days, um, which was really, really helpful because locally I was finding Um, sort of physios, rehab people really didn't want to touch me because they just didn't have the understanding of the condition. It's very rare, apparently. And Mm. so that was quite frightening when when your own doctors and rehab people are going, no, you just need to accept you're in a wheelchair and be done with it. And I didn't want to accept that. I think I I did the best I could. I I reached out to people and, and I reached out to professionals who did have some experience of it. Um, and I, I just started 
with the basics, I, I set up, I bought a, a frame to make my bike into a stationary bike, uh, put it out on the, the back deck and um, literally just started doing one minute every morning, no resistance, really no speed. You know, by, by this point, I had been pretty much in bed nonstop for about six months. So there was a lot of muscle wastage. Um, so it was just about getting my legs mm. moving again. Um, and it was scary because every time I did it, my legs would swell up and change color and I'd lose feeling. And, um, and that was why the, the physios and rehab people were sort of like, no, we're not touching you. We're not working on this. You just need to be in a wheelchair. But for me, it was, um, yeah, that was, it was important to keep going. So yeah, I don't think I would have done much differently. Um, I just did the best that I could that I think is all we can do when we're in that survival state. Mm, that's so awesome that you put the bike on the stand and started using it. <laughs> what made you do yeah. that? What gave you the um, idea? <laughs> I just wanted a way to move my legs. And um, the the US doctor, his protocol actually suggested getting a mini trampoline and walking on that. But I was so weak at that point. My legs were just so wasted that even standing up on the trampoline felt quite scary. Um, even though it had a, it had one of those handles that you can hang on to. Um, so I felt like the bike was maybe a better option. Fortunately, I, I had a bike that I had for years and it was one of those low bars. So I didn't have to swing a leg <laughs> over the saddle or anything. I could just step through <laughs> it and I had it close to the wall. So I could sort of rest my crutches and, and get into onto the bike and, and not fall over. Um, and I just thought, well, that's a, an easy way of being reliant on standing on them. So if they did give way, I was at least sitting on something. Um, and yeah, just mm. seemed like a, an easy, easy way to, to attempt some kind of rehab on my own without the facilities of a rehab centre or, or a gym or anything. Mm. Awesome that you did that. So I want to talk to you a little bit about your support networks. Mm. You, you mentioned before that you got involved in this group with other people who were yeah. also going through something similar to you and how yeah. much of a difference that made to you. But you also touched on that your, your marriage ended and things really changed for you on the personal front there. Mm. So there seemed to have been a real sort of uh, evolution in your um, relationships at that time. Yeah. Were there any specific individuals or support networks that really inspired you? or um, helped you find your way through? Yeah, definitely. So obviously there was that group online that I mentioned, um, and there was also mm -hmm. a couple of individuals who, um, one was a, a reasonably close friend, but she lived in a different town, not close by. Um, but she was amazing. She she showed up on the phone every day and, and in my darkest hours, even now it chokes me up, she was... Yeah. So accepting of that. She, you know, it's it's frightening when people are in such a dark place. Um, it's it's frightening to think that they might do something to hurt themselves. And she was so accepting. She never tried to argue or tell me I couldn't think like that and I shouldn't feel that. She just said, I get it. I, I of course you feel like that. You know, your whole life has just imploded. And um, and just I think having that acceptance, that that non-judgmental acceptance, was incredible. And we made an agreement that um, you know we'd give it three months and see where I was at then. And if I was still really in that dark place, we would have another conversation. And I think it was just that 
okay, there's, there is another option if I really want to take it. Um, and I've got mm. support for that um, without judgment, without being told I was wrong or bad for feeling that way. So, so she was incredible. It turns out I had a very similar uh, condition to me, um, a spinal cord uh, injury. And um, we didn't know each other well. We'd actually met, I think, only once or twice through a local photography group, would you believe? Um, <laughs> but I, she was often using a walker, and so we had connected over <laughs> our mobility issues. I was on crutches even prior to the surgery because I was struggling. And um, she just happened to message me uh, as it all kind of exploded and, and my husband left and um, and I'd been told that's it, you're in a wheelchair, you're never going to walk again, you're never going to work again. She just, I think, messaged more on a, a sort of social, hey, are you going to this photography event? And I don't know why, I just kind of blurted out <laughs> everything that was going on. And she was incredible. She just started, despite her own mobility challenges, she she didn't live far from me and she just started showing up at my house, um, you know, turning up with uh, donuts or cake or something for us to eat and again it was just that unconditional acceptance that it's okay to be where you are it's okay to feel how you're feeling and we'd often just uh, fortunately I had a, a long sofa and we would lie on each end of the sofa and watch a bit of tv and chat and but there was no pressure no expectations um so yeah, between them and and uh, this online support group, uh, and also a, another lady that my my mum helped me find, um, who was very familiar with the sort of local services for people who had disabilities and things, and she really helped me by organising um, a sort of low cost service to come in once a week to help with cleaning, help with food shopping, um, doing the things that I just wasn't able. Those, those were the people that I think really got me through. Uh, in those those tough hours. Those people, they're like angels in disguise, aren't they? They just yeah. pop up when you are least expecting them. But man, we need them in our life, don't we? Absolutely. There are some turning points in our life too um, when these things are happening and some uh, moments where we we propel ourselves forward, we make a decision, like you did on the bike when you were exercising your legs on the bike. Yeah. Um, so taking that step towards changing things can be really, really hard. I want to mm. talk about that for a few minutes, if we can, about the events leading up to that turning point for you and how you found the strength to make those changes. It's it's a bit of a funny one, really. I, I think mm -hmm. the stupid thing that really motivated me was it was coming into winter. I was working um, at Mount Hotham Ski Resort and I love being in the mountains. I love being on the snow um, and just in that alpine environment. And um, I was fortunate that when I was up at Hotham, I saw a lot of disabled skiers and, and a, an amazing organisation called Disabled uh, Winter Sports Australia. And um, they took lots of people out on the snow and I started to go, well, hang on a minute. There's still a way for me to get onto the snow, but I need to have some uh, mobility, particularly as I, I wasn't in a position like some of the others. I didn't have a carer. I didn't have an NDIS package. So I had to have some ability to help myself um, on to get there and to get onto the snow. So it was that sort of I need some strength in my legs. And I also spoke to uh, one of their people um, who was, he was just an incredible guy, so kind and compassionate. 
Um, and he said to me, look, you can get into a sit ski, but they are really hard on your spine when you sort of get off the chairlift or go over bumps, unless you've got the money to buy a really fancy one. Um, there's not a lot of suspension in them. So <laughs> they're pretty hard on the rest of the spine and didn't want to do more damage. <laughs> so he said, if we can get you up on your legs, then we can get you what they call four track skiing. So they actually um, loaned me these amazing crutches that, or they look like crutches, but they have little skis on the bottom uh so I look like I have four skis just two or mini skis um and so I use those a lot because I just didn't have the strength in my legs that, that I really needed for turning and things like that but the the little skis helped me to initiate those turns rather than using my legs to do it and yeah he got me up there and he got me going and it, it was like learning to ski all over again which I first learned when I was about mm -hmm. three or four years old <laughs> So a lot of frustration, a lot of feeling down on myself, like I should be able to do this. I've skied for years, but uh, obviously not as a disabled skier. And um, and then I think being up there, when I was on the lift, lots of people would ask me about these weird poles that I had, because obviously they weren't regular ski poles, and just sort of briefly explain to people, you know, what they were and why I had them. And people were really supportive and and sort of saying, well, good on you, good on you for getting out here. And again, just those random strangers being kind, but giving me that confidence, that belief in myself that, yeah, okay, it's not the skiing I used to do. I'm not bombing down the red runs or the black runs, but I'm I'm getting out there. I'm on the blue runs, but I'm having fun. And I was I was loving it and, you know, could only do sort of an hour or so. And, and then I was just too exhausted. You know, my body had been through a lot and I just didn't have the stamina. But then I just go and sit and have a hot chocolate and, and watch, you know, everyone else out there having fun and just, again, feeling the, that cold, crisp alpine air was amazing. So, yeah, I wish I could give some incredible <laughs> uh, sort of <laughs> revelation that I had of, oh, this is how I get move forward. But it was skiing. Skiing was what I wanted to do. I wanted to get up to that snow and um, I knew that I needed my legs to do that. So that's why I got on the bike. How interesting, yeah. you know. You've had this operation, you're flat on your back, your uh, mobility is quite limited and yet you still found a way to get out there and to, to be a part of that alpine air and to actually put your, put your skis on again and get onto your feet. I just, wow, that's an extraordinary story. <laughs> Sometimes there are uh, realisations that happen along the way moments where we might have had to shift our mindset or our perspective um, when we've been in a really difficult situation and we suddenly see things a bit differently. Um, and it just helps us to take control of the situation a bit better. Were there any moments like that for you? And could you speak to that a little bit? I think that it's like I said, those things kind of happened a bit earlier on of that giving myself grace and, and accepting mm. that, okay, if I do go up to the snow for a day, um, I was fortunate at that point, I lived um, only an hour and a half away from Falls Creek. So uh, nice and easy to get up to the snow and just do a couple of hours and, and come home again. Um but knowing that I I had to prepare for, for a trip like that, and that preparation basically meant do nothing for two or three days, yeah. be fully rested, sleep, take care of myself, which for somebody who has though that sort of mindset of uh, it's lazy if you sit around, you know, 
we all talk about self-care now, but a lot of us struggle with it because we, we're fighting this voice that tells us you're being lazy, you're sitting around, you're resting. Um, and what I've really seen within the sort of um, disabled community is very much that repetition of everyone saying it's okay to rest, it's okay to lie in bed for a day or two if that's what you need to do um, and sleep mm. and, and take care of yourself. So getting to that sort of acceptance of, okay, if I want to go skiing, um, that's great, but I'm, I'm going to have to have a couple of days of rest before I go and I'm going to have a couple of days rest after I go and that's okay um, and not beating myself up for it and if that meant just watching some movies, reading a book, sleeping, that was okay um, and then, you know, doing other things outside of that once I'd had my rest days trying to I tried to find a routine as well, even though I couldn't do a whole lot so that I wasn't just in bed all day. Again, it was that routine is important and it's it's one of the hardest things to do, I think, when you're in a bad place. Um, but even for me, if it was get up out of bed, even if it was just throw on, you know, my tracky pants and a hoodie, <laughs> especially through winter when it was cold, um, it didn't necessarily have to be a full shower and and dress and do anything exciting, but at least get myself up, um, you know, feed myself if I was hungry um, and move about, do my, uh, and and what I think really got me was my, my sort of own physio exercises that I put together for my rehab became my routine, doing that every morning. So I've got lots of photos. I was actually going through my phone the other day and I've got probably hundreds of photos of um, me doing these physio exercises, lying on my yoga mat on the floor and my cats. <laughs> supervising or lying on top of me or <laughs> trying to be helpful but really <laughs> distracting me um but again just savoring those moments of you know if the cat came and and decided to flop right on top of me and it meant I couldn't move for a few minutes just lying there and enjoying that connection and the purring which you know I know there's lots of research that says purring is so therapeutic and um, yeah, mm. so yeah, not one sort of pivotal moment, I think, but just that accumulation of learning to accept my limitations and, and, and also when I needed to, having a cry and screaming into a pillow and, and venting that frustration and irritation and, and feeling like I was a failure somehow, even though I hadn't done anything to myself to, to yeah. end up in that position. Um, but still, there, there's that questioning of, oh, did I do enough research on the surgeon? Should I have had the surgery? Should I have done this? Should I have done that? Um, and you can drive yourself mad doing that. And I realized that very quickly. So, uh, yeah, just that learning to be accepting of, of what each day brought and, and not not getting upset with myself if I couldn't achieve the things I wanted to achieve then. Yeah, and managing the energy you had and the energy that you were expending. Yeah. So were there particular resources that really helped you in your progress? Were there books or podcasts or speakers or any tools or techniques that really helped you to get through? Yeah, I would say um, Brene Brown became <laughs> my favourite person to listen to uh, during that time. We love Brene. Um, we do. And, you know, she talks about shame and, and crazy as it was because it wasn't like I intentionally hurt myself. Um, I had a lot of shame I had, and I had a lot of shame because, you know, my, my husband of 13 years had left 
um, when it all got really hard, and and I don't blame him for that. It, it you know, we we went through a year of absolute hell, um, and and it was tough. And I I did shut down. I went into survival mode, and um, you know, I I understand why it came to an end. Um, but it, I felt a lot of shame about it that, you know, I had messed it up, I had done something wrong, I should have known better, um, because it, it, through all of this I was still studying to be a counsellor, <laughs> so um, there mm. was that sort of added feeling of, well, I should know better because I'm studying this stuff, but obviously knowing it intellectually and being able to live it uh, when you're going through a crisis event is two very different things, as I've realised. So Brene Brown talking about shame and, and you know, learning to be empathetic to myself um, as mm. well as allowing other people to show me empathy and, and asking for help. Um, and music was a big one for me. I love music. I always have. Um, love going to, or used to love going to gigs. I don't do it quite so much anymore, but that's partly age as well as the mobility issue. <laughs> um, and yeah, music was a, a big thing for me. I, I listened to lots of music every day and especially while I was exercising, you know, I'd crank the music up and I'd sing my heart out and please don't ask me to sing because I don't want to uh, put your listeners <laughs> through that. <laughs> but I love singing, uh, it, albeit badly. And um, yeah, just that sort of stuff I found very therapeutic. Um, and then I was, as I mentioned, in therapy, so I was learning things like tapping became very useful to me, So to especially when I felt really overwhelmed late at night and couldn't get to sleep. Tapping became my go-to to help me, um, creating a safe place mm. in my mind, so somewhere that I could just take myself off to and really immerse myself in it with all the senses, you know, what I could hear, see, touch, smell, taste. Um uh, again, just to help sort of get myself out of that survival, fight, flight, freeze mode um, and and help because I, I really developed anxiety after everything I'd been through, I think is understandable. Mm. <laughs> but again, I would beat myself yep, up for absolutely. it of, you know, oh, you should be better than this. You shouldn't be anxious. Um, why are you feeling this way? And, and even now, I you know, if I have to go for blood tests or I have to go into a, a medical centre, um, I really struggle with anxiety. I feel my my body go into panic mode, um, mm. and that's something I've I've really had to work on to help uh, regulate myself in those situations. Because obviously, just you know, irrespective of of the other stuff, we still have to go to doctors sometimes. We still have to get blood tests or or do those things. So. So learning those kind of tools of, of self-regulation. Actually, a, a few years earlier, I had met um, Paul de Gelder. Um, he was a Navy SEAL who uh, was attacked by a shark in Sydney Harbour, and he lost an arm and a leg. And um, mm. I saw him talk at a business uh, sort of networking luncheon, and he talked about how he had wished the shark had finished him off. Um, again, very active person, being in the Navy and um, at the sort of work that he did, very fit, very active, very strong, and suddenly not having a leg, not having a, a hand. He was struggling to see the way forward, the future, and he said in his talk that he just wanted to check out, he wanted to be done, and this was going round and round in his head, and one day he sort of woke up in the hospital still and, and realised that he had a choice to make. He had to choose uh, whether to check out or whether to live and that if he was going to choose to live, then he had to make that choice every day. 
And um, I think he put it as um, I have to choose to live a good life every day. And so I went home that day and I wrote on a little whiteboard I have on my fridge, um, choose to live a good life. And, and I'd underlined it about five times. And so years later, here I was in this horrific crisis of my own, losing my own mobility. And um, every day I would see this quote on my fridge, choose to live a good life. And I think through all the darkness, through all the days where I wanted it to be over, um, that somehow was still getting in. And it was like one day I woke up and went, okay, it's time to choose. It's it's time to choose. Am I moving forward or am I checking out? And um, yeah, it, it really helped me to make that choice that I'm going to choose to live and every day is going to, I'm going to choose to make every day a good day. And that doesn't mean it's a perfect day and I'm happy and feel pain-free. It's just, I get up and I choose to live and to, to find a way forward. Yeah, it's powerful. So how has this experience changed you as a person? Oh, how has it changed me? It has, of course it has. I think I found a resilience and a strength I didn't know I had. Mm. Um, I think if you had told me a couple of years earlier, this is what's going to happen to you, I would have been like, nah, I'll just check out, I'll be done. Uh, and obviously there was a moment where that was seeming like a good option. And there wasn't one particular thing, but I do remember just feeling this will to live, this will to survive kicked in mm. and and not wanting to end my life, not wanting for it to be over. Obviously devastated that everything had changed, everything. You know, I was no longer married. I was no longer mobile. I couldn't just get up and walk and, you know, going to the shops was like a, it was like walking up Everest for me. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. and I could literally only buy what I could put in a shopping bag over my shoulder. I couldn't push a trolley. I couldn't, even now, mm. trolleys are my nemesis. I hate them. So, yeah, it, I think, how have I changed? Yeah, just knowing that even when it gets tough, I do have the strength and the resilience and and learning to ask for help more, learning that it's okay to to ask for some support and not everybody's able to give it as and when you might like it and want it. Um, and that's okay as well, you know, accepting that everybody has their own stuff going on and 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 that's where it's important to build a sort of network so that some days some people might be going through their own stuff and, and not be able to be there for you and show up for you and and uh, mm. but other people can and likewise you'll be there for them on some days and other days you won't be able to so um, just that importance of of a community in some in some way um shape or form and obviously a lot of that was online for me because <laughs> being in a wheelchair and on crutches it was difficult to get out and socialize um but uh you know now that I'm more mobile I, I have uh managed to get myself walking again and about a year ago came off the crutches altogether um and um yeah, I'm still, still restricted in how far I can go and the pain levels. But, um, yeah, and it was um, it was a long trip to get there. And, and now I have to recognise I still need help. I still need to ask for help. And um, I have a, a new partner now, a wonderful man, who met me in a wheelchair, didn't run away, didn't care. You know, that was a big fear for me that um, men would see me as this 
uh, burden, uh, somebody who was just too difficult because I was in a wheelchair. And for some people I was, and that's okay. Uh, but I met this incredible man who just didn't care about the wheelchair. That's not what he saw. He saw me and um, and I'm, I'm really, really grateful for that. And, and learning to ask him for help has been another big challenge in, in my ongoing journey. Um, because it's something I've, I've not been used to being able to do. It's not something I've been comfortable doing. Um, so that's been another learning, another learning curve for me of it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to need help. It's not weak. It's not bad. It's not wrong. Um, it doesn't matter who you are. Um, all humans need support. We we are not designed to live on our own in in isolation with no help, no support. So yeah, that's awesome. So what about your perspective on life and your work and career goals? How has that shifted for you? Mm. Life is short. <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> if tomorrow will ever come. So yeah, definitely more of a, you got to go out and do the things you want to do, live life, uh, enjoy it, I think is the, the big one for me, that happiness is not promised and we can't be ecstatically happy every day. Life is going to be a journey of ups and downs. But um, again, that acceptance of those days where it's a struggle and it feels down and negative but then trying to find the positives, even if they're just little things. I'm now fortunate to live in a beautiful place. Um, you know, I've got a lovely bush block. Every day I look out and I've got kangaroos and wallabies and hares running around in the yard, um, trees, uh, a little dam to sit by, a creek that runs through our property. And it's just mm -hmm. those simple things. It's appreciating the really simple things in life. Um you know, it's it's really helped me detach from society's expectations of what I need to have to look successful, to to feel successful, um, and appreciating those little things in life that I think a lot of us forget to. You know, we get caught up in our busy jobs and our busy lives, and we're running around with a mobile phone constantly in front of our face. And when I was particularly in, in the wheelchair and on the crutches, you can't operate those and have a mobile phone in your hand. So um, <laughs> that's right. it literally was, you know, look up and see what's around you. You have to. Uh, and, and it was always interesting when people would crash into me because <laughs> they were on their phones uh, and, and sort of obviously panic because then they'd realise either when I was in the wheelchair or on the crutches, me, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Um, but it always made me a chuckle and I would say, well, maybe get off your phone. Um, and, and you know, I used to be as guilty as anyone of being on my phone all the time, sometimes still like that, but not when I'm out and about just, um, yeah, appreciating those little things. Mm, such wisdom. So how <laughs> do you feel about your future now? Hopeful, optimistic. Um, as I say, yeah. I, I love my business. Um, so as I mentioned, I was studying during all of the, the health issue and the marriage breakdown. And, um, my intention had been to use my counseling qualification as part of my health and safety 
role and the company I was working for before my injury um, were really encouraging of that. That's that's what they wanted was somebody in-house to put in a program that was proactive around mental health and things like that. Um, I had found very few companies who understood um, or or shared the belief I shared staff and employees and um, sometimes that means offering some extra support, whether that's through an EAP service or some extra time off or, or whatever it might be. And lots of companies, you know, sort of balk at that idea of, oh, that's more money, it's more time, it's more resources. Um, but my, I have a very strong belief that that makes for a much safer and a much happier workplace and, and a more loyal workplace, you know, when staff feel that, uh, it's not a case of, oh, leave all your personal stuff at the door. It's a case of, look, if it's really impacting your work, let's come up with a plan together to help you through this. Um, so, yeah, I think um, I wasn't able to obviously stay in that role when I was in the wheelchair, but uh, it fast-forwarded my uh, hope was to set up my own private practice. And so... Mm-hmm. I had to, that was pretty much my only option for a job. Um, I, I went to some disabled employment agencies and uh, they pretty much said I could stick stickers on cans of dog food. That was about the only work they could give me. And it, it really made me mad that as soon as you have a label of disability, it's like not only physically disabled, that you must be intellectually disabled as well. Um, that mm-hmm. You know, I was somebody who had been in a high-level job uh, as a health and safety manager. I'd I'd run my own business. You know, I felt I had a lot to offer, but I was very quickly relegated to the bottom of the pile. And and there was one part of me that considered setting up a disabled employment agency to try and fight that, but I knew it would be such a, a battle with with companies who have this really entrenched mindset of what a disabled person is capable of a, a false mindset but that's what they have nonetheless so I decided that this was the opportunity um no time like the present set up my private practice and become a counselor and um and I planned to do it all online so I could have that flexibility to manage my own energy and health needs and um and yeah I I love the work that I do I love um I I set up to work with men because of coming from heavy industry so it was often me and 200 men on site and and being the only female and the health and safety manager a lot of guys would come and share their problems with me and and ask for help and support and um, I realised there wasn't really many resources out there for men. Um, it's getting it's getting a lot better mm-hmm. now. There's some amazing, you know, grassroots organisations out there really, um, sort of championing the cause of of men's mental health and and physical health as well. Um, but yeah, it, it, that's what had inspired me. My my first passion is is that support of men, and so yeah, um, set up my business and um, and I feel grateful for the opportunities I get to support men and couples um, in the challenges and struggles that they're having in life, knowing that it's not easy, knowing that there are days you just want to give up and it's all too hard. Um, And I hope that by sharing a bit of my story, it helps people to, to have that optimism that I have about my future, that I was told I would never walk again. I'm walking. I was told I would never work again. I'm working for myself. And um, I feel really positive about my future. And I know that it doesn't matter what happens in the future. 
I have the strength and resilience to to overcome it. I might not want to go through it. <laughs> I might <laughs> be kicking and screaming all the way and saying it's not fair. <laughs> but I have the tools. I have, and I now have more of a network. Um, I have the support, um, both in friends and an amazing partner. Uh, and none of that's guaranteed. But I know that no matter what, I can I can get through it. I can overcome it. Um, and it's a choice. It's a choice to show up every day and live your best life. And even if that means today I'm lying in bed all day <laughs> reading a book and watching movies or sleeping, so be it. Tomorrow is another day and I, I don't have to let it spiral. Tomorrow I can get up and try again and see how the day goes and how it pans out. But just being kinder to myself and, and knowing that whatever the day um, unfolds like, it's it's okay. So what message or advice could you share with others who are listening who may be going through their own life disruption right now? I think really important to get help. And that can be friends, family, support groups online, um, or coaches or counsellors. Um, it's just really important that we we do ask for help. Um, but as you know, we love Brene Brown and I always say, choose who you ask for that help from wisely you know not everybody is the right person to help us some people um really want to inflict their way and their view onto you and as i mentioned though those people those two ladies who were really there for me were just accepting they just it was unconditional there was no judgment there was no shaming um they just accepted mm that that was who I was and where I was at and how I was feeling at that time. And and that those are the people you need to find. And sometimes it's hard to find that in people who love us. They think they're, they're helping us. They think they're doing the right thing by telling us, you know, oh, you can get through this. You'll be fine. Just do this. Just do that. Um, but it's not always helpful. So that's where I say don't be afraid to, to look for professional help. Look for a counsellor or a coach who can you know, be supportive, be a guidance, um, but ultimately trusts you to know what's best for you and um, and just accept where you're at on any given day and and um, just be that non-judgmental accepting support for you. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, so we've come to the end of our interview here. This is where we get to do the rapid five, the take five questions <laughs> where I get to put you on the spot and ask you some quick, short answer questions. Yep. All right. So, Christy, number one, name three podcasts that you like to listen to. Um, Over It and On With It with Christine Hassler. Uh, anything Brene Brown, of course, and anything Simon Sinek. What's a book that has had a profound impact on you? This is a really tough one because I read and listen to so many books. I couldn't honestly think of one. I think the biggest one during all of that trauma that I went through was The Body Keeps the Score, understanding, um, just bringing that understanding of it's okay, my, my body needs a chance to heal and it is dealing with all this trauma. Uh, which helped to sort of let go of that that shame and uh, ridiculous expectations on myself. But yeah, so many great books out mm. there, but I think the body keeps the score. Mm, it's a profound book. What oh. do you do for self-care or to nourish yourself? Um, I love going camping with my partner. Um, walking around on grass is really good, that grounding sort of thing. I love being in nature. 
Um, as I say, I have a beautiful, beautiful block where I have all this wonderful wildlife and nature. So just going out there and enjoying it. And when my inner child wants to come out to play, um, I have those big bubble wands that you get for like a couple of dollars at Big W and I run around my four acres <laughs> making big bubbles, <laughs> much to the amusement Love of it. my partner. <laughs> oh, dear. There's a bubble lady up in um, uh, Port Douglas at the markets there that sells these <laughs> special wands that produce these massive bubbles. You would love oh, her. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Looks like I'm doing a trip north then. <laughs> What's something on your bucket list that you're really looking forward to doing or accomplishing someday? Um, my partner and I want to travel around Australia. So we have a, an awesome camper trailer and um, we would love to be grey nomads. I'm already going a little bit grey. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, travel around <laughs> Australia and see this fantastic country that we have that just has everything you could possibly want to visit. Yeah, highly recommend it. What is a key affirmation or quote that keeps you going during tough times? I don't have a specific sort of quote, but I think for me it was, it comes back to everything will work out somehow. Might not be how you wanted or how you planned, but it does work out. Mm. Well, Chrissy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. And thank you for sharing your story. I know it takes a lot of courage to share something so personal and so difficult that season of your life where you had to make space for all the new that it was bringing and all that you lost as well. If people want to find you, how do they find you online? Well, thank you so much for having me, Karen. Um, and yes, if people want to find me, they can reach out to me on my website, uh, masculinematters.com.au um, or find me under Masculine Matters Coaching and Counselling on Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, wonderful. I wonder what major life-altering moments or life quakes you've been through. Or perhaps you're going through one right now. For Chrissy. It was a botched operation which resulted in her being in a wheelchair feeling like her life was over. It really was a major life-altering moment. But she got through it. And she got through it by giving herself grace, asking for help, allowing her body time to rest, admitting that she couldn't do everything, and by looking for and finding support and inspiration from others people who were going through similar challenges, who were getting up and getting on with their lives. Life may not look like how you want it or how you planned it, but there can be a new life, a different way forward. You get to choose. That brings us to the end of this Woe to Go episode. Thank you so much for being here. You are awesome. Hey, I would love to know what your takeaways from today were. Tag me or DM me on Instagram at The Counselling Studio. That's counselling with two L's. Until next time, remember, you absolutely can shift your woe moments into stepping stones towards a flourishing new chapter. <laughs>